So we are finishing 2 Peter today. We are finishing the last two verses of the letter today in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. And so I will read those to us. I know we just read them in our Scripture reading, but I will read them again and pray for us, and then we will go through this and finish 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3, verses 17 and 18. Peter says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Or so be it. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your Holy Word. We thank You for Your Word that is, um, that is inerrant, fallible. Lord, sufficient for, every, for, for all that we do in this life to live a life of godliness. You have revealed to us what, what You have decided to reveal in Your Word, Father, and it is sufficient for us. And we thank You for it. And Father, I just pray that Your Holy Spirit would do the... Um, do the work that only He can do, Lord, in the hearts of Your people here today. Pray that Jesus Christ and Him alone would receive all glory and that Your church would be edified and, and strengthened in their faith today, Lord. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> so the title of the message is Get to Growing. Not, not assuming that you're not already, but it's uh, rather an encouragement to, to us all to continue to grow. And so I want to open us up with a, uh, a quote from Charles Spurgeon on the, on the, I, on the whole idea of spiritual growth. <clears throat> he says this, Lettuces, radishes, and such like garden crops are soon out of the ground and ready for the table. A month almost suffices to perfect them. But an oak requires long centuries to come to the fullness of its growth. Those graces which are most precious and durable will cost us longest to produce. Those good things which spring up hastily may have some transient worth about them, but we cannot look for permanence and value in them. There is no need to deplore deplore the slowness of our spiritual growth if that which comes of it be of a solid character. hope you guys can get the the, uh, picture of that. And so, really the, the picture on our bulletin is a picture of that. I'm not going to go back and quote, but I think of Psalm 1, right? The tree that's planted by the streams of water with the roots growing down low beneath the surface, receiving all those nutrients. That's, that's the idea that Spurgeon had, right? That's where the, that's where the solid, long-lasting growth is. Um, so, what is Spurgeon saying? I think you guys understand what he's saying, but to apply it to our spiritual life, you know, anything that's uh, going to be real growth in the Christian life doesn't just happen overnight, right? You've heard me say before that uh, this kind of growth in the Christian life doesn't happen uh, by a weekend conference that you go to. Even if you go see your favorite speaker, even if you go see Mr. Paul Washer, preach the most outstanding sermon, that is not what's going to be the foundation of your spiritual growth. No, these things, as we'll see today, as we'll be reminded today, this growth in the Christian life, guys, comes by 
what is God, what God has revealed in His Word. That we call them the means of grace that He's given us. Um, it, it comes back to the very basic things. Spending time in the Word of God. Um, spending time communing with God in prayer. Um, you know, um, doing things like sharing the Gospel with others. All of these things attribute to our spiritual growth. It's just like physical life, right? Um, you know, the only way we're going to grow is if we eat. <laughs> Hopefully you guys are, uh, you know, that you intentionally eat. Because we know, especially when you're actually growing, your body's still growing, we need nutrients. And it's not only that we eat, but that we eat the correct things. You know, there are some things that you can stick in your mouth and eat and swallow, and it'll kill you. And as we're going to see today, that's, that's Peter's... That's Peter's warning um, really to this church, to these believers, to be on guard for that which is dangerous that can be destructive to your life spiritually. So that's really what we're talking about today. And, and he's finishing the letter. He's finishing the letter, as we'll see in a minute, guys, really in a, in a large way, the same way he started it. And we'll go back and look at some passages in chapter 1. That was really how he started this letter, if you guys remember, talking about growing in these graces. Growing spiritually, why? Because there's false teachers coming. And you need to be prepared. You need to be equipped. And so he's really going back and, and just... He's used this word many times, guys. And although it's not in our text today, he's going back by way of reminder and reminding his readers of these very things. So we will see that today. So if you look on the back of your bulletin, if you have a bulletin, you want to follow along. The truth that I want to propose to you today that summarizes the sermon. If you could take it, if you could t walk away and say, what was that sermon about? It's this. You must always be on guard against error and lawlessness by intentionally seeking to grow in your Christian life, giving Christ all the glory. Okay? And so I always try to have some kind of statement like that and then I, which should summarize the text, and then I tried to pull the points that we have out of that very statement, which needs to all be consistent with the text. And so, three points today. The first one is, really the first two are the two imperatives of the text. Very clearly, in verse 17, we're to be on, you're to be on your guard. And secondly, you're to be growing. And so that's what we see. First of all, we are to be, you are to be on guard in verse 17. Be on your guard. He says, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. <clears throat> so, I, so I think he's just closing this letter in 2 Peter with really the major theme of the entire letter. This has been the major theme of the entire letter to, to be growing spiritually, right? Because... The reality, there is a reality of that there are false teachers who distort the Word of God that we looked at last week. And they can shipwreck your faith if you're not ready. And so it's a, again, a reminder, a loving reminder. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but he uses that word more than once in this letter. I'm writing this by way of reminder. And we talked about that a few times. That you and I need to be reminded, right? We need to be reminded continually. Obviously, God thought so. He placed it in His Word. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But this is a loving reminder to be aware of the dangers of false teaching, false teachers, mockers, 
Those who distort the Word of God. And not only of their teaching, but of their ungodly lives that they live. That they want to try to seduce you with, right? With some kind of profession of faith. And we'll, we'll talk about that more as we'll, by, by way of reminder that these, these false teachers had a profession of faith. And they were teachers. But we know that they did not honor the Lord Jesus Christ. They refused His Lordship. And so these, these type of men are dangerous to seduce the people of God. And Peter knows the destruction. He knows the destruction that can come to their lives if, if we allow Beloved, if you allow, if these readers allow their lives to be influenced by these mockers, it can bring shipwreck to a faith, to somebody's faith. And he says, he says, knowing this beforehand, in verse, that's why we know it's it's another way of reminder because he says, you therefore, beloved, right? He's writing to the people of God. We, we once again we see this endearment. He loves these people. You, you dear friends, I think some translations say. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, because of your knowledge of these things, right? I've already instructed you in these things. Turn over to uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. We can see it right there. He says, back, he says, he says in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, but false prophets also arose among the people. So, right, it was in the Old Testament. It's in the Old Testament scriptures that false prophets arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. And what will they do? What will these false teachers do? Secretly introduce destructive heresies. He's saying, he's saying knowing these things beforehand, you know these things. That they bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master. If you guys remember... What that language means is what that language means is they refuse the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's who these men are. They refuse. They deny the Master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Does that not sound like our text last week? Remember those who distort the truth. They distort the gospel is what they distort, and it leads to their destruction. So Peter, he's saying the same thing in verse in chapter two, verse one. These men distort the truth of the Word of God, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And those who follow their teaching is the idea. And then he says in verse 2, many will follow. See, not only their teaching, many will follow their sensuality. You know, I kind of like this teacher over here because he believes in Jesus and he doesn't preach all of this holiness. And you've got to deny yourself and follow Christ. I think I'll follow Him. Follow His sensuality. And it leads to destruction. And because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. Is that not so true in our day, guys? Even by the world, the way of truth is maligned. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ Himself is maligned. He's blasphemed because of the behavior of professing Christians. The world says, why would I want that? It's a joke. They live the same kind of life as I live. And then in verse 3 says, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. So you see how it's not only their doctrine, but it's their, it's, their, it's their very lives. Their judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. So that's what he means. Back in chapter 3, you beloved, knowing this beforehand, you know these things that I'm telling you, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard because you know these things, you need to be on your guard. 
Don't fall asleep at the wheel, is what he's saying. And guys, the command in the Greek, it indicates that they are, they are guarding themselves. Peter's not actually asking them to do something they're not, that they're not already doing. And, you, and we can know this by, that, by the last word that he uses. He says that in, that, in that verse, he says, Be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. So these believers were already standing. They were stable. They were standing steadfast. Peter is just simply saying, you're doing well. Don't let your guard down. Don't let your guard down. That's what I would like to say to you guys this morning, this afternoon. Don't let your guard down. It's very pastoral what Peter is saying. You know, that, that reminds me of many times that because it's, it's any pastor's job when you're going through the Word of God to exhort the people, right? To godly living. Whatever the passage is dealing with on that day. But I want you, to guide, I want you guys to understand this since it's come up right here that just because I may be exhorting you to something doesn't mean I don't realize you're already doing that. Okay? It's this very thing. Keep it up. Keep it up. I mean, I, I have a pretty good idea of um, many of you and your spiritual walk. So keep it up. That's the idea here. Don't let your guard down. And so why is it, beloved, that you need to be on guard? That these readers need to be on guard? That you and I need to be on guard? Why is that? Very simply, in the flow of the text, he says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. That's why. Be on guard so you don't fall. So you don't fall into error. So you're not, so you don't, so you're not carried away by the error. The error, beloved, that phrase just means the distortion of the truth. Exactly what he was talking about last week. Distortion of the truth. Back there in chapter 2 verse 1 again. These false prophets also arose among you, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Destructive heresies. Distortion of the truth. They distort the very heart of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether it's they add works to salvation, whether it's they deny the necessity of repentance, but it's the distortion of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And these men, it says they're unprincipled in the NAS. I forgot to look maybe at some of your other versions, but I know the word means lawless. And I know some of the English translations actually use that word. It's just the idea of being lawless. These men are false teachers and they live lawless lives. Chapter 2 verse 14 gives a description of that. Here, here's an example of their lawless life. Having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. That's a lawless life. They don't care what God's Word says. Enticing unstable souls. Beloved, the very opposite of steadfast is unstable. They entice those, not those who are steadfast in the faith, not those who are, who are standing on, on a solid bedrock of sound doctrine, who are stable. No, it's those who are unstable. That's who they entice. That's who they entice. So these unprincipled, lawless men 
Stand, or be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the distortion of the truth of these lawless men and fall from your own steadfast, steadfastness. That word just means a firm stability of mind, which really comes from doctrinal stability. You know what you believe. You know what the Word of God says, and your life is built on that. And you can endure the false teachers because you know the truth. But what attitude do you, you and I need to have in this whole idea of being on guard? What attitude do you and I need to have? Beloved, I would suggest this from the Word of God that we need to have an attitude of humility to, stand, to be on guard. What do I mean by that? We need to recognize because the Word of God says so, we need to recognize that it is a possibility to fall. Even the best of us. The most mature Christian, you can fall doesn't mean you're going to lose your salvation. Now the Bible always does warn against apostasy. But you can even fall, apart from falling into apostasy, you can just, you can just fall and have, um, like Ephesians 4 says, be, you can be, just be tossed to and fro. No stability. No victory in the Christian life. No, no really influence or impact for the kingdom of God because you're not standing firm. So we need to approach this with humility. We need to approach the Christian life with humility. Approach the, the Word of God with humility and reverence and fear. Turn over to Fle- uh, 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 Ephesians chapter 4. And we can be reminded of this. You see how often we use that word? We can be reminded of this. Things you probably already know. But this whole idea of, of, of having humility, approaching the Christian life with humility and understanding that we are weak, that we need the church is what we're going to see here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 14. Paul says this to the Ephesians, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Why did He give these leaders in the church? That's what we want to see. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to a unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Pastors and teachers are given to help the church, to help the people of God mature, right? Through sound doctrine. And then verse 14, as a result, right? As a result of reaching maturity and of the knowledge of the Son of God and these type of things, as a result, verse 14, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men. Here we go. That's exactly what Peter's warned about. Being, being tossed to and fro. By these different, every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. God has given the church. God has given pastors and teachers and evangelists in the church to equip the church. So there needs to be humility on your part, even in regards to the local church. What do I mean by that? Don't think that you don't need the local church. That's what I mean by that. God has given the local church for a reason. Not so that we can come and check our card and say, well, I did that. 
I've got that done this week. No, there's a reason for it. Your soul, beloved, okay, even if it's saved, I'm not even sitting here saying you're going to lose your soul if you're not in church every week. But you can shipwreck your faith. And beloved, your life here as a Christian, what you do, what you do for the Lord here is going to affect your eternity. And I want the best for you. I want you to lay as many crowns as you can at the feet of Christ. Okay? I don't want, and, I, and, it, and I want you to have a good, healthy Christian life here. I don't want to see people being tossed to and fro. And, and because we need to approach this, we need to understand that I need the local church. God says so. It, because I know people who I think are truly saved, truly born again, who have been saved for years and years and years. They love Christ. But they get tossed to and fro by every little thing because they're not grounded in the Word of God. And that is, that is going against God's will. There's no excuse for us, guys. We've got, we've got Bibles. We've got churches. God has provided for us. Let's make the most of it. And I would even say this. I would say this regardless of where you go to church. Okay, so this is not... I hope you understand what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. But I'm saying if you're a member of our church and you do, and you do miss in order to... Because in order to really get a grasp, like, let's just say like as we're going through 2 Peter, right? If you're not here every week and here in the context... That, that's really where you get fed. That's why we have things like sermon audio. Go, go check out the sermon from last week. Okay, I would say that wherever you go to church, the technology we have nowadays allows us to do that. If you're really serious about knowing what God says in His Word, take advantage of these things. Okay, and I used to hear MacArthur say back before anything like sermon audio, he said, and if you weren't here, get the tape. Well, I would say if you're not here, listen to the sermon audio. Because we want to be... What is God's Word saying? That's all I want for you. What is God's... I, you know, I didn't used to think that way until, until I think of, of, of you guys and I'm like, I, man, I don't want them to miss what God's saying in His Word. It's like every week there's something there. There's something there that's important for you and I. And so we need to approach this with humility, guys. Don't take your victory in the Christian life for granted. Okay, if you're standing firm right now and you're steadfast, praise God. Praise God. But don't take it for granted, guys. You know, uh, there's, there's, there's a phrase that my wife and I have used over, over seeing different people in our lives over the years. I've used this phrase to describe individuals. I've used this phrase to describe maybe a sports team <clears throat> like OU. That they can't handle prosperity. I don't know if you guys understand what I'm saying, but like we've had people in our life whose, whose lives just seem to be kind of a train wreck. <laughs> they just bring destruction in their lives. And it's like they'll get to doing good, given a little prosperity, things are going good, and then they have to destroy it by bad decisions. Same thing with the football team, right? They get up 28 to nothing, first quarter. <laughs> it's like, can you not handle some prosperity? Without, and that's the way it is with our Christian lives, guys. If you're doing well, guys, don't be one of those who let your guard down. Because I think that's what happens. People, they let their guard down. 
I mean, really, we, we kind of joke about it in sports, but I think they're just people, right? A lot of them are young people. They get ahead and they let their guard down. Next thing you know, they give up the lead. They can't handle any prosperity. I shout that at the TV. And so don't be that way as a Christian. But we need to approach it with humility. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12. I think he's saying the exact same thing to the Corinthians. The context before this verse was he's, he's, he's going over the, the, the things that Israel did wrong in the wilderness. And he said, we want to learn from them. It's recorded for our example. And he says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. You hear that? Same thing Peter's saying. Let him who thinks he stands, or even if he is standing, you may be standing. Take heed though, take heed, lest you fall. That word take heed, guys, that phrase, exact same thing, to watch carefully. If you're standing, watch carefully. Be careful. Be vigilant. Be on the lookout. Same language as Peter's using. Same language. Take heed, beloved. We can fall. That's, we need to approach the Christian life every day with humility. That we need the Lord today. That's, that's the whole idea of putting on the armor of God daily. Denying yourself daily. Standing in the truth. Lord, protect me against temptation. Protect my eyes from looking at what they don't need to look at. My mind from thinking what, they don't need to, what it doesn't need to think. Guard my heart. Guard my eyes. Be in the Word of God. Be prayerful. Don't let your guard down. You know, the Bible says this, guys, speaking about the devil, right? That because we, these, um, the, you know, when you think about these deceivers, these mockers, these, these, um, the language that, that we read in, in Ephesians, these deceitful schemers, these distorters of the truth. Guys, we, we have to be vigilant in these things. As this, as this word means to, to watch carefully, to be careful, to be on the lookout. Because when these deceivers come, guys, we know who's behind it, right? The enemy. He comes as an angel of light. Peter describes him as a roaring lion. So that's, that's basically what he does to somebody's life. He destroys it. But he comes as a wolf in sheep's clothing or as an angel of light. In other words, let's just say we're dealing with a false teacher. The false teacher doesn't stand there and say, come over here where I'm at. This is the Broadway that leads to destruction. No, they don't say that. Because if you look at that, but that's what the false teachers are doing. That's where they lead to. Because in the passage in Matthew 7, the context on the Broadway and the narrow way, Jesus is warning against false prophets. Don't go the way of the false prophets. That's the broad way. But they don't announce to you, hey, this way leads to eternal destruction. No. The only way you and I are going to know those type of things is by being on guard, being in the Word of God, knowing what the Word of God says so we can recognize, uh-uh, that's destruction. We don't go that way. That leads to eternal destruction and that leads to even destruction in your own life. J.C. Ryle says, it is, the, it is the, the neglect of the Bible which makes so many a prey to the first false teacher. True believers can fall prey to false teachers. And though ultimately you won't be led into apostasy if you're truly born again and regenerated, but your life can be just wrecked spiritually. 
And many people have those kind of testimonies that they just lived, a, that it took them years and years and years to get any type of stability in their spiritual life, just being tossed to and fro. And so he's in this in this first point, guys. He's just given a wake up call to the people of God. Don't fall asleep. Don't get lazy. And so you and I know, beloved, there are plenty of clever, that's usually what false teachers are, clever, manipulative deceivers, smooth talkers, who can bring shipwreck to your faith. If you are not in the language that we've been looking at and last week, remember we looked at being diligent? Same thing. If you're not being diligent, if you're not intentionally with humility, pressing forward in your Christian faith, guys, you and I can fall. So be aware of that. Approach it humbly. Don't get arrogant. Don't get haughty. Right? Don't, don't, don't allow yourself to become arrogant. Philippians 3.12, Paul tells us, work out your salvation. Not work for your salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's our part. That's our part. And that's what this language is. We approach this with fear and trembling. And we work it out by, by exercising the means of grace and doing what God has called us to do. And so this, this is lived out. This, what we've looked at here, and even in that verse in Philippians 3.12 that I just read, this working out our own salvation with fear and trembling, this is lived out practically as we seek to, and that flows right into our next point, as we seek to be continually growing. Okay? We need to seek to be continually growing in verse 18a. This is one of my favorite verses. I've got this verse written on the back of that tract in case a person does put their faith in Christ. I think this is just such a beautiful verse. describes the Christian life. I think better than any other. So let, let me just read the whole thing again since it's short. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to be continually growing, beloved. Again, I hope you intentionally eat food, right? I know you do. We have to intentionally eat or we'll, we'll perish eventually our bodies. The same thing in our Christian life, guys. I hope you are intentionally seeking to grow through being in the Word of God and everything we've been discussing. I hope you are intentionally seeking these things. So he's finishing the letter the same as he started. I mentioned that earlier. Flip over to chapter 1. Look at verses 5 through 7. And we can see that. So he talks about their salvation in the, in the first three or four verses. We'll look at that here in a moment. Just talking about reminding them that they've been saved by God's grace, right? That even their faith was a gift. All of these, it's been given by Christ as a gift. And then in verse 5, it says, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. He's speaking about just all of these spiritual graces. And growing in these graces. That's what what that language is talking about. 
And the more you grow, beloved, the more you grow, the more steadfast or the more stable you will be in your Christian life. The more you grow, the more you add these graces that he's mentioning in verses 4, 5 through 7, the more you add these to one another by, by working out your salvation, by being disciplined, then the more stable you're going to be. And the more easily you'll be able to stand against that which is false and the temptations of the devil and against lawless men. It all starts with Christ, though. I hope you understand that, guys. All of this starts with Christ. All of this starts with knowing Christ in a saving way. All of it starts with putting our trust in Christ alone. He is the, right, the author and the finisher of our faith. He is everything. So we, so we can't ever speak about grace without realizing that everything we have is found in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Um, so His His saving grace and His sanctifying grace. It's all from Christ. Listen to what Spurgeon says um, to that point. He says, There cannot be any grace except as we know Christ. Right? There's no grace in anybody's life apart from knowing Christ. And there can be no growth in grace except as we grow in our knowledge of Christ. We may always test whether we are growing by asking this. Do I know more of Christ today than I did yesterday? Do I live nearer to Christ today than I did a little while ago? I think the first question he's asking is, do I actually know more of the Word of God? Do I know Christ in that way? I secondly, secondly, I think he's talking about experientially. Do I know more of Christ today? Do I live nearer to Christ today? And then he says this, For increase in the knowledge of Christ is the evidence as well as the cause of true growth in grace. It's, it's all about Christ. It's all about having Christ before us, pursuing Christ, knowing Christ, learning of Christ, imitating Christ. Which is why I've decided, guys, um, when we finish 2 Peter here in a few weeks, we're going to start a Gospel. We're going to start the Gospel of Luke. For this very reason, because I want for the next few years <laughs> to have Christ set before your very face. So, we're going to... And, and you see that in the Gospel. It's not only the Word of God, but we're seeing the very life of Christ. So we're going to have Christ before us every week. Not only He is the Word, but looking at His very life. Because I think... Listen, listen to Paul in Philippians 3, verse 10. I love this verse. This is so much in this. Philippians 3, verse 10, Paul says, that I may know Him. So, so he was just previously stating... All of, his, um, all of his accomplishments, I guess you could say, as a Pharisee, right? And he said it's all, it's all a pile of dung, basically, compared to knowing Christ. And he said this, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. I, I think we can see four different ways that we can look at this knowledge of Christ right here in this verse. That I may know Him, first of all. Knowing Him in a salvific, or, or salvation, eternal life, comes from knowing Him. Right? This is eternal life, Jesus said to His Father, John 17, 3, that, that they may know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom You have sent. So first of all, we need to know Him. 
salvifically, right? We need to know Him in a saving way. And then he says, and in the power of His resurrection. We need to know the power of His resurrection as He gives us victory over sin in our Christian life. That is how we come to know experientially. It says we've been given the same power and dwells us that raised Christ from the dead. So we can overcome sin, guys. Read Romans chapter 6. Meditate on Romans chapter 6. Jamie used to tell me that years ago when I'd be struggling in my Christian life. He said, Brady, read Romans chapter 6 and appropriate it to your life. It's true. Whether you feel it or not, we are dead to sin and alive to God. No longer slaves to sin. And guess what? I read that and read that and read that and I did claim that. Name it and claim it. I said, that's mine. I'm not a slave to sin. And guess what? It started being a reality in my life. Because I started walking in the truth. So, so we know Him. Paul says that I may know Him in a saving way. And the power of His resurrection as He gives me victory over sin. And the fellowship of His sufferings. When you and I are rejected by this world because of our faith, we are sharing in the fellowship of His sufferings. We are coming to know Christ in a deeper way. As we experience victory over sin. As we experience the pushback from the world. And lastly, he says, being conformed to His death. We are conformed to His death as we daily deny ourselves. You deny yourself. You die to yourself. And you're being conformed to His death. And that's what he said, right? If anyone wishes to come after me and be my disciple, he must deny himself daily and take up his cross and follow me. That's the Christian life. So those are, those are all these ways, I think, that Spurgeon's saying, it's all about knowing Christ. It's all about knowing, his, knowing Him in these ways. So I ask you this by way of application. How are you doing in all of this in your Christian life? In your Christian life, how are you doing in all of these things? In the, 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 work, of the, the work of the Word, are, are you applying? Are you in the Word? Are you applying the Word to your life? How are you doing in your... In your uh, Scripture intake, how are you doing in battling sin in His power and the power of His resurrection? How are you doing in suffering for His sake? How are you doing daily denying and dying to self? These things are we just we have to constantly be monitoring our Christian life. We are growing. This this is what it means to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So beloved, what's he saying? Don't remain idle. Don't remain idle, guys. Don't just stand still. Don't, don't. We, we need to be, in other words, we need to be moving forward in the Christian life. Guys, if you're not moving forward, you're not just remaining in the same place in the Christian life. I think everybody in here, at one time or another in your life, you know what it's like to do some kind of workout. Bodily. Right? Rocky riding bikes. Other people maybe weight training, running. Any of these type of things. Let me ask you a question. Let's say you're trying to get in shape. Whether it's, whether it's through some kind of weightlifting, you're trying to gain strength, or cardiovascular. Let's say, okay, I've been, I've been being consistent for two months, now I'm going to take two months off. And if I start too much now, I'll just pick up right where I left off. Mm-mm. Carl's a runner. He's going, no way. <laughs> That's not the way it works. It's the same thing with our, with our Christian life, guys. We can't just 
We can't just turn it off and on, guys. We have a real enemy and we have a real flesh that the enemy uses. And we have a real world, right? World, flesh, and the devil are enemies. And these things are always seeking to destroy us, to, to shipwreck our faith, to bring us down, to ruin our witness. We have to be moving forward. We have to be diligent. Amen? Not just to be found by Him, like we were talking about last week. Not just to be found by Him, living a godly life, but to have victory over the Christian life. Don't remain idle, guys. The enemy does not play fair. That's one of the things my wife has reminded me of. When you're down, he will kick you. And he will stomp on you. He is a roaring lion. But he comes as an angel of light. So we've got to be moving forward. Calvin speaks to this. He said he, speaking in this passage, Peter also exhorts us to make progress. That's the whole language of this passage. To make progress. For it is the only way of persevering. To make continual advances. And not to stand still in the middle of your journey. I think I'll take a break. It doesn't work like that, guys. If you're getting ready for a cross-country run, Carl, like I said, you're not going to just stop training in the middle of it. Eh, I think I'll take a month off. Well, you'll get last place if you finish. You know, and I can't, I just can't figure that out uh, in my own personal uh, attempts to get in shape jogging-wise. This once-a-week stuff's not healthy. It's like every week I do it, that one time it's just as hard as the week before. <laughs> but that's, hey, I need to practice what I preach. Start doing it every day. So he says, make continual advances and not to stand still in the middle of your journey as though he had said that they only would be safe who, who labor to make progress daily. And I think Calvin's right. That's the only safe thing to do in our Christian life, guys. Just keep making progress, right? Jesus says, put your hand to the plow and don't look back. And keep denying yourself daily. And, 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 and God will give you victory by His grace. All of it's in the grace of God. And so this is how we persevere, guys. We looked at already our part. And it was Philippians 2.12, by working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We approach it humbly. We approach it understanding, man, I can fall. I can fall. I'm not above falling. I don't need to be arrogant in this. I need to exercise the means of grace that God has given me. Right? He's given me the local church. So as much as I can, I understand things come up. Okay, This is not preaching legalism. But as much as I can, I want to... I want to participate and be there when the Word of God is preached. Be encouraged by my brothers and sisters. That's part of it. Just being encouraged. Being strengthened. Exercising your personal disciplines at home. Um, by yourself and your, and your walk with the Lord. You, uh, if you're married, your, your spouse and yourself. All of these things. You know, you know what I'm talking about. But And so these are the things that we are responsible to do. But never forgetting this, guys. That the very next verse, in verse 13... Philippians 2.13, we cannot forget this, that it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure, right? It's all because of the grace of God, right? We are to work out our salvation because it's God who works in us. That's one of the most beautiful passages of balance in the Scriptures. That we can only do these things because of the grace of God that is at first at work in us. 
So, beloved, you are not to stand still, okay? You are not to stand still in this Christian life. You are to be growing, not only growing, but continually growing. Title of the message, get to growing. I should have said keep growing. But get to growing. Get to growing. Don't remain idle. Get to growing in your own sanctification, right? Being conformed to Christ. And in your knowledge of the Scriptures. So that you can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. That comes, he can come in the form of of false teachings, right? Or, Or false philosophies of this age. All these ways he can come to deceive. As well as he can come in just straight out temptations to sin against God. Okay, so we need to we need to be on guard. And we need to be continually growing. And lastly, need to be giving Christ the glory. It's not necessarily an imperative in the text, but we are we are commanded, right, to do everything to the glory of God. So that is nothing that the Bible does not say. What a way to finish. What a way to finish a letter, a book. What a way to go out today as we finish 2 Peter by giving Christ all the glory for everything we've mentioned. All of this Christian life that I'm exhorting you to, Christ gets the glory, guys. If you are living a victorious Christian life, don't take the credit. It's all glory goes to Christ. So what a... what a you can't, I can't think of a better way to end on today as we look at 2 Peter. This is a doxology, guys. A doxology, you'll see it in different letters. These writers, the apostles, they'll, they'll just break out. Usually it's at the end. Sometimes it's not. Just an expression of praise to God, right? And so that's what Peter's doing. But he says to him, speaking of Christ specifically, to Him be the glory. You know, it's just another one of those passages, guys, that's just tucked away that's teaching us the deity of Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory. To Christ be the glory. Right here, here's another verse. You want to show somebody that Jesus Christ is God? Right here. Because we know, guys, only God gets glory. Only God deserves to receive glory. Listen to Isaiah 42.8. Yahweh says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will, I will not give my glory to another. Isn't that awesome? That's what the God of the Old Testament says. And we know that glory, I think most people would say, right? Glory belongs to God alone. A lot of people would say that. And Peter is giving that glory to Christ here. To Him be the glory. To our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So glory belongs to God alone. John 1.14 is another one. And the Word became flesh. You know, if you read back up the early part of that chapter, we see that the Word was Christ. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then uh, it says the Word right here became flesh, speaking of Christ, and dwelt among us. And we have seen what? We saw His glory. The glory of Jesus Christ. So beloved, do you give glory to Christ? Do you give glory to Christ? That's the question for you and I right here as we close this book. Do you give glory to Christ for all that happens in your life? And, and, I'm, not, and I'm not even saying you got it. When anybody gives you a compliment, you don't, I'm not saying you have to just be, oh, glory goes to Christ. That's not what I'm saying. If you, if you want to do that, praise God. But I'm just saying more so in your own heart. Are you, giving, are you humbly giving glory to Jesus Christ? 
for your victory over sin, for your salvation, for everything in your life. Christ is the one. He alone deserves the glory for all this. He he deserves the glory for for our salvation, right? He redeemed us with His precious blood. The glory is His. Not only our salvation. Hey, turn over to chapter 1. We can see this. Not only our salvation, but also our sanctification. Verses 1-3. through So when we started the letter, you guys remember we talked about, in, uh, to those who, in verse 1, to those who have received a faith as the same kind of ours, as the same kind as ours, by the righteousness or through the righteousness of God our Savior, right? The very faith we have was given by God, by Christ. We received the righteousness of Christ, right? Christ alone. If you want to say Christ alone, God alone, you and I, you and I know that the triune God, it's Father, Son, Spirit, but it's He gets the glory for all of it. For our very salvation, the faith we have, the imputed righteousness we have. Christ gets all the glory. We get none. Grace and peace, verse 2, be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. And then look at verse 3. We even see our sanctification. And it's referencing Jesus Christ. He was the last name mentioned in verse 2. Seeing that His, Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. That's sanctification. Through the, not, through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. It's just the same language over and over and over in this letter. And then He goes off into saying, for by these He's granted to us precious, magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. We are partakers of the divine nature. We have everything we need for, for godliness because of Christ. Right? He gets the glory for our salvation. He gets all the glory for all of our sanctification. You and I deserve no glory. Amen? We deserve no glory. Right, Rocky? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 We have fallen short of the glory of God and we give Christ all the glory for saving a wretch like me, for keeping me, for being patient with me, not only in saving me, but as His child. I have tripped, I have fallen, I trip and fall so much, so many times, but He's always there to pick us back up. Amen? He will never leave us, nor forsake us. All glory goes to Jesus Christ. Paul says in Galatians 6.14, he says, Far be it from me to boast. Far be it from me to boast. Hey, what, what are you doing when you boast? You're giving glory to yourself. Right? That's what, that's what boasting is. You're giving glory to yourself. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul says, I only glory in Christ. I only glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. Beloved, we we deserve no glory. To Him be the glory. And so by way of, really by way of closing today, by way of closing this letter, the first thing we have to ask is I have to ask, do you have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? That's the most important question 
that a person can answer. Do you have a saving knowledge of Christ? Do you know Christ personally? Are you reconciled to Him? The verse I mentioned just a while ago, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And I can say this, beloved, and I think I'm speaking to the choir here. If you have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, guys, no matter what else you don't have in this world, you have it all. You have it all. So don't let the absolute craziness of our world and what we may be facing and what we may be losing, who knows, by way of um, economy, by way of when you, when you face bad health, no matter what it is, if you have Christ, you have it all. I don't want you to focus on what you don't have. If you have Christ, you have it all. You are wealthy. We are wealthy. The poorest Christian, the poorest Christians in the world are wealthy. We have it all, beloved. That inheritance that we talked about in 1 Peter, that inheritance is yours. It's reserved in heaven for you and God does not lose a reservation. It's protected. But if not, if you do not have, if you do not have Christ, if you do not know Christ, if you have not repented of your sin and trusted in Christ and are continually repenting and trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, the, the perfect life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you're not trusting in Christ and following Him as your Lord and Savior, if you don't know Him, then no matter what else you have, you are completely destitute. Completely. You may, a person may be the wealthiest person in this world financially, but if you, if you do not have Christ, you are lost, you are destitute. Listen to, the, listen to Revelation 3.17, the language of the, to the church of Laodicea. It's true of so many in our day. So many in our day. They may have wealth. All of us are wealthy here in America, guys. We really are. But they may, they may have wealth and they think, I've got all I need. I don't need this Jesus stuff. Listen to the warning from Scripture. Jesus Himself says, You say, I am rich. And I have become wealthy. And I have need of nothing. That's the attitude of most people in, in America. And he says, but you do not know that you are wretched. You are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That's their true condition before a holy God. Wretched, evil, sinners, miserable, poor, spiritually speaking, Poor, they're blind. They've been blinded by the devil. Kelly, they don't know they're deceived. And that's why we must tell them the truth of the gospel. The truth of the law of God. That you are a criminal in God's sight. You are a rebel. You have violated the law of God. And the reason you've done so is because your heart is wretched. Your heart is desperately wretched and sick and twisted and perverted. And that's why you need a new one. And it only comes through this one. Jesus Christ. Jesus states the same thing in Mark 8, 36 and 37. 
the words that we're all very familiar with. What does it profit a man if he gain the whole world? The whole world. And yet lost his soul. What would a man give in exchange for a soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for a soul? So even if a person has everything this world has to offer, all the riches, and you know, we think of the, uh, we think of the celebrities and the movie stars and the athletes, but just anybody. They, they, they have all their simple heart desires in this life, right? All the pleasure, all of the, their, their reputation, all the popularity. What good is it going to do if you die and go to hell? You have nothing. You're destitute. You need Christ. And so I would just plead with those people, if anybody would hear this message, that you think you're not, you're, that you don't need Jesus Christ, listen to the words of Christ. You can have all this world has to offer, and yet what's it going to profit you when you stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords and give an account of your life and die and go to hell? What a tragedy. Repent today. Believe in the Gospel. Come to Christ who is a friend of sinners. We ask the question, why would you not come? I would ask that person, why would you give up your soul? Why would you give up your soul? Call upon His name today. Right where you're sitting if you do not know Christ. Call upon His name to save you and He will. You can call upon Him right now wherever you are. You may be hearing this message driving down the road. Call upon the name of of Jesus Christ. God be merciful to me a sinner. And He will save you today. And so beloved, He deserves the glory. That's the way we're going to close. Listen to, listen to that verse one more time. And we're going to close in a, with a Scripture in Revelation. And we will, we will stop there. He says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him, to Christ, be the glory. Both now but not only now, and to the day of eternity. To the day of eternity, guys. That just means the day of His return and then forever. This life, when He comes back and forever into eternity, He is to receive the glory. He, to Him be the glory. And we'll close with Revelation 5.12. We'll get a picture of that in heaven, guys. We're going to be there. If you know Christ, you're going to be there. You're going to be there. All of His redeemed ones are going to be there with the holy angels in heaven. And this is what we're going to be crying out. Revelation 5.12 Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. You hear that language? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. We're going to be worshiping Christ, guys. The only reason we're going to be there is because of the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. We get no glory. There's no self-glory in heaven. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive what? power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then I skip down a little bit in that verse to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I mean, we're seeing the triune God here. To Him who sits on the Lamb or to Him who sits on the throne and the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Let's close. Or let's, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we, we praise You today, God, for saving us. We praise You for giving us a heart, Lord, that, that longs to worship You.
God, apart from your grace, we, we, we would never worship you. We would keep going in the opposite direction. But Father, we thank you today for saving us, God. Thank you for this finish, this glorious finish to this letter, Lord. I, I pray that your saints will just be reminded, God, of not to sit still, not to be idle, Lord, but to keep pressing on towards Christ, towards the prize, to keep growing. And Lord, to never, ever want to give glory to ourselves, God, but to always give Christ the glory. And God, and whenever we can verbally do that, and whenever we can verbally give You the glory and be a witness for You, Lord, and point others to You, God, give us the wisdom. Give us the wisdom and discernment, Lord, to know when the appropriate time to do that is, Lord. Father, we, we love You and praise You. In Christ's name, Amen.